This is The Guardian. Today, as Boris Johnson looks to redefine his political legacy, what can we expect? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight, I want to update you on the latest steps we're taking to fight the disease and what you can do to help. For more than a year, we hung on his words. The time has now come for us all to do more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. On what we could do, where we could go, who we could see, he would tell us in front of that wooden lectern, week by week. It is now almost two months since the people of this country began to put up with restrictions on their freedom, your freedom. And we listened, even at times trying to work out what he meant. Our assessment is that we should now squeeze that brake pedal, squeeze that brake pedal in order to keep the virus under control. Throughout all the chaos, all the changes. I've no doubt that uh, people will be able to have as normal a Christmas as possible. We must, I'm afraid, look again at Christmas. And as Prime Minister, it's my duty to take difficult decisions to do what is right to protect the people of this country. Today and tomorrow, we'll listen again. But this time, he'll have to answer for those decisions. Good morning to all those present in the hearing room and to those following us online. Today marks another important milestone for the COVID-19 public inquiry. A public inquiry, 12 hours of grilling, and maybe the highest forum in which the architect of Britain's COVID response will ever be publicly held to account. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus... Boris Johnson at the COVID inquiry. Aletha Adu, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian and you've been following the COVID inquiry since it started nearly six months ago. This thing's going to go for years, but today may be remembered as one of its most important sessions with the appearance of the man who led Britain through the pandemic. How high are the stakes around Boris Johnson's appearance today? Honestly, the the stakes are incredibly high. This is a box office slot of the COVID inquiry, you could say. Boris Johnson has faced so many accusations from so many of his former senior aides who have claimed that he was so indecisive and he oversaw a really toxic culture in Downing Street during the pandemic. But for the first time, we will be able to hear from himself 
a really detailed or hopefully a detailed account of how he grappled with the virus himself that almost killed him, um, a virus that kills more than 200,000 people. But ultimately, we'd hope that he'd be able to explain if he believes he made the right decisions at what points, what lessons has he learned and I believe we can expect an apology from him of some sort for his general handling and decisions that, you know, didn't work out and that didn't help uh, during this time. The world will be watching and it'll be really interesting to see and hear what he has to say. Well, one thing we can say for sure about today's appearance is that it's going to be long and it's probably going to be gruelling. Jo- Johnson is facing up to 12 hours of questions from one of the top barristers in the country. What do we know about how he's been preparing for today? Yeah, well, he may have sort of learned lessons from his appearance earlier in the year, in March, before Parliament's Privileges Committee, and who were investigating whether he lied to lawmakers over, you know, the Partygate scandal. He, at the time, was very irritable. He got very defensive, quite, you know, hostile and aggressive at some times. I asked the relevant people, they were senior people, They've been working very hard. They gave uh, Jack Doyle gave me a clear account of what had How's happened. The cabinet secretary? I, the, how was the cabinet secretary okay, wasn't I there? Was I, well, sorry, well, you're wrong because I did ask the cabinet secretary. That won't stand at an inquiry like this because of how many lives have been lost under his watch. So we understand he's been studying you know, as many as six thousand pages of material, which includes you know a range of questions that could be put to him during the inquiry, going from you know his leadership to obviously decisions that he made. We understand that their strategy is somewhat two pronged. He's expected to have you know rehearsed some sort of apology for his mistake. But also he is likely to sort of rely on many of his uh, achievements that he made during this pandemic. And obviously we can expect Boris Johnson being somebody who is very much an optimist to, you know, try and go swiftly through the apologies and really try and back himself and defend uh, his handling of of this all. I mean, you have to imagine that... He's a guy who tried to avoid serious media scrutiny while he was in power. He must be absolutely dreading this appearance. But then he is the reason it's happening, because he was the one who announced this inquiry back when he was prime minister in May 2021. Yes, exactly. And just before the inquiry was announced, I mean, from as early as May 2020, people were calling for him to ensure or to at least promise that at some point during the pandemic or afterwards, that people would have the chance to hear from him and other people in charge. I think this might be an opportunity for Boris, somebody who has sort of uh, vowed to make a comeback to frontline British politics at some point. Uh, He will really Mm. relish this chance to sort of make another appeal, not only to the public and people who lost their loved ones, sadly, but also his own party that, you know, maybe down the line, maybe in a few years, they might be able to call on him if there was ever a chance of a, of a leadership race down the line. But again, it really, really depends on his conduct, how he sort of describes his relationship with scientists and the science as a whole. Is he going to sort of mm. reject claims totally or is he going to sort of meet people in the middle and you know, try not to direct criticism at other people too much? 
I mean, the context around his appearance is that this inquiry has been looking at decision-making at the top of government over the past few months. And we've heard evidence from lots of people, including MPs, ministers, and some of Boris Johnson's advisors, such as Dominic Cummings. Tell me about the picture they've painted of the operation in Number 10 during those years. Witnesses to this inquiry have described a really toxic, sexist and misogynistic Mm. culture in which many, you know, female civil servants didn't feel able to raise concerns about, you know, women who were struggling in domestic abusive households, for example, and women didn't feel able to talk about PPE to make sure that it was accessible for women. Like little things like this, uh, we heard from Helen McNamara, former top civil servant at the time during pandemic, basically saying that just wasn't really a diverse workforce. So how could people really see things from a different perspective? Women whose job it was to do something were not able to do their jobs properly because They weren't having the space or being asked the right questions or being treated with the respect that they would do. And it was genuinely, um, it it was both striking and awful. And then the fact that there were no women contributing to the policy discussions, problem in itself because there were some expert women who weren't being listened to. But also, I mean, we've heard, you know, from Dominic Cummings, just the amount of like swearing and like abuse, just like hostility and aggression that these people in charge are making huge decisions are just sort of using in their day to day language, which ultimately just creates a really sort of nasty atmosphere naturally. You called ministers useless f- pigs, morons, c- in emails and WhatsApps to your professional colleagues. Do you think you contributed to a lack of effectiveness on the part of ministers and of the cabinet? No, I think I was reflecting a widespread view uh, amongst uh, competent people at the centre of power at the time about the calibre of a lot of senior people who were dealing with this crisis extremely badly. Slow down, please, Mr Cummings. Are you suggesting that your views expressed in those revolting ways were shared by others? Well, the, 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 my appalling language is obviously my own, but uh, my judgment of a lot of senior people was widespread. It almost sounded silly at some times. We've heard of Mr Johnson at one point suggesting to some of his aides that he should be injected with the virus on live television to demonstrate that it didn't pose a threat. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just sounds like utter chaos. And so that was the culture in number 10. Tell me about the decisions that it produced at a time of deep national crisis. Well, we've heard from his former chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, who was basically saying that Boris Johnson played down the severity of the virus, predicting mm. that it would be like swine flu. And it was really difficult to work with a man in charge of you know, making huge decisions on such a pandemic because... Boris would always change direction and he sort of uses this term or this almost weird nickname for Boris Johnson, comparing him to a shopping trolley cart, saying that a defective shopping trolley cart, in actual fact, saying that the stakes were incredibly high and he'd always just be changing his mind one minute. The next minute he'd speak to somebody else and they'd sort of persuade him to do something. The term you used and 
his cabinet secretary used and his director of communications used and other officials, no doubt, about his propensity to... Pretty much everyone called him the trolley, yeah. We've heard from a number of scientists who have given evidence that they wished that there was more of a encouraging culture for discussions and for MPs and civil servants to actually be able to question uh, the science that would lead to the decisions that they ultimately make. And it didn't seem like there was this sort of to and fro, backwards and forwards, open to conversation. It would just be people sort of whispering to the Prime Minister at different points and he's just, you know, confused and erratic as ever. What was that like for the scientific advisers who were there to give Boris Johnson the facts that they hoped would save people's lives? It's been really interesting hearing, as the inquiry has gone on, some small nuggets from Sir Patrick Valance's diary, some of them quite worrying. To just refer to one example, in a meeting, Boris Johnson was heard saying, you know, let the bodies pile high in September 2020. This is just before Hmm. the second wave kicked in. And you're wondering, okay, we've heard of somebody who is likened to a shopping trolley and also somebody who apparently has made such a blasé comment about A, people dying, and B, the decisions around people dying, just willing to not do anything on that. You say, late afternoon meeting with the PM on schools. My God, this is complicated. Models will not provide the answer. PM is clearly bamboozled. Well, I, I think I'm right in saying that the Prime Minister at the time gave up science when he was 15. And I think he'd be the first to admit it wasn't his forte and that he did struggle with some of the concepts and we did need to repeat them often. We've heard also from Lord Eddie Lister, a former chief of staff and a long-term ally to Boris Johnson, who was quite critical and he said the government were reluctant to initiate a second lockdown in autumn 2020. Again, that's going to be something that Boris Johnson will be repeatedly questioned on uh, today and tomorrow, uh, given the unfortunate turn of phrase that he used. Also, I think many families will be keen to understand if they were sort of weighing up people's lives against the economy and they'd want to know whether they thought saving the economy and making sure the economy was more important than trying to reduce the risk of, you know, more vulnerable people dying. And so one of the incredible things about this inquiry is it gives us a view into number 10 early in 2020, before most of us were even aware of this virus, this virus that would go on to change so many lives and take so many lives. What is the picture we've gotten from this inquiry about what things were like inside number 10 in those early months of the pandemic? I mean, it's quite remarkable what we've heard uh, from the inquiry so far. Johnson is obviously going to be questioned on why he believes so cavalierly when news of uh, COVID first struck, in which at one point he laughed at the Italians and joked that we were going to be great at COVID instead of focusing on measures that were actually going to contain the virus. At one point, we've even heard of Cummings, obviously during the inquiry, accusing Boris Johnson of being really distracted in early 2020, to the point of he apparently took a holiday to write a Shakespeare book which Boris Johnson is going to deny. We expect him to deny that. But, I mean, his reasons for doing that or his reasons for apparently missing five emergency Cobra meetings in the run-up to the first national lockdown will also be repeatedly questioned, given the fact that many former ministers, I mean, some who are still serving in government today, have apologised for going into the first lockdown too late 
saying that many lives could have been saved if they went sooner and faster and harder, essentially. Aletha, it's such a damning picture that's been painted so far. How do we think Boris Johnson will seek to answer it? Because he has the advantage of appearing fairly late. He's heard what everyone else has said. He has a chance to prepare his defence. What do you think his approach is going to be? He will be definitely in a sort of forward-thinking mode, how this will sort of pit him up for his future. He will also be very keen to sort of praise his achievements. Britain was one of the fastest major countries to roll out a vaccine in early 2021. And that was such a huge moment of relief uh, for everyone across the country. Also, I think another achievement is probably when he decided to reopen uh, the economy later in 2021, which at the time was, you know, widely criticised because, you know, many scientists were expecting another spike in COVID that year. But I think he was sort of vindicated because many other countries sort of followed suit and obviously the economy was slowly getting back on its feet. So that was seen as a a big win for him. But again, like he's going to have to be able to sort of acknowledge and maybe justify why so often witnesses to this inquiry have described him as erratic and even irresponsible at times. And he won't be able to do that if he is definitely on the defence and trying to just be Mr Optimistic and making all of these sorts of jokes that we're used to hearing of of Boris. We're not going to want to hear of any of his sort of clever phrases, let's say. We're just going to want to hear the facts and we're going to want to see some some form of remorse, really, uh, some solemnity. Do you think he'll be going into this trying to shaft any responsibility onto the man who eventually succeeded him, Rishi Sunak? Well, some of his allies have suggested in reports uh, that have been published in newspapers that uh, Boris Johnson might avoid sort of shifting the blame directly onto other people, but to partly take responsibility for some decisions that were made, which would be very welcomed by many scientists who have criticised his overall leadership during that time, uh, but also families who've lost loved ones. So maybe in that case, Rishi Sunak might be able to sort of sleep well over the weekend in preparation for his own uh, account next week. We're talking here about politics, about the legacies of these different politicians, but perhaps the most poignant questions are going to come from the COVID-19 bereaved families for justice. What kinds of questions will they ask and what kinds of answers will they be looking for? I mean, ultimately, they'll be expecting for a very wide-ranging apology, not just for the handling and not just on, you know, mistakes that were made, but, you know, the culture that was created that led to these decisions and the comments and the awful remarks that have been made and that have been noted by, you know, senior scientists and senior civil servants. So this was a little bit earlier in August where Patrick Balance has recorded that the PM WhatsApp group kicks off um, because, of some, because the PM had read about the uh, infection fatality rate. Um, And it says this, he's obsessed with older people accepting their fate and letting the young get on with life and the economy going. Quite a bonkers set of exchanges. 
later today, many families will be outside the hearing and ready to sort of confront Boris Johnson with questions, showing placards with photographs of the loved ones that they've lost uh, during this time in a way of sort of urging him to even say something to them on his way in. As we said earlier, the stakes are incredibly high and many people are really wishing for an apology also uh, on his decision to break lockdown rules and why it took him such a long time to sort of even admit that this was going on after months of Number 10 and Downing Street officials rejecting the idea that any lockdown rules were broken in the first place. Coming up, can this inquiry deliver accountability? Can it give us closure? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Aletha, everyone's going to be watching Johnson's testimony today, and it's being framed as an opportunity for him to set up a comeback to his career. But, I mean, isn't the picture already clear that he misjudged the early stage of the pandemic? He failed to learn from it for subsequent waves. He delayed in making key decisions that would have saved lives. Like, is there anything he can possibly say that cancels out what we already know, both from the testimony of his colleagues and just what we all lived through for years. Yes, I think, I mean, you can never say never in politics. I mean, as we've seen recently, we've seen the return of a former prime minister, uh, now Lord David Cameron, uh, working alongside Rishi Sunak. 
But I think his future really does depend on how he responds to the hostile questioning, because those questions are going to be hostile, rightly so. Is he going to be able to, you know, explain how difficult the circumstances were? I mean, at one point he did have COVID. He almost died, you must remember. Um, How difficult it was to get to grips with the science, perhaps? Is he going to try and explain or is he just going to get defensive and put the blame on scientists, on other civil servants, on his chief of staff, maybe even on the current prime minister? I think the more he sort of tries to avoid uh, taking responsibility for his decisions and his actions, the less likely a comeback will be. And also, we must remember that when he formally resigned in, in June this year as an MP, ahead of the Privileges Committee report, um, he said... He said, we must smash Labour at the next election. Nothing less than an absolute victory and total Brexit will do. But as the great Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back. I mean, he obviously knew he was going to be giving evidence at the COVID inquiry at that point. Then uh, he was still sort of rejecting Partygate as an actual scandal, claiming, you know, people were just out to get him and out to get him out of number 10, ultimately. Aletha, finally... This feels like a pretty huge moment to see Johnson facing this questioning, but we've had inquiries in the past over the Iraq war, over phone hacking, and they don't always lead to real consequences or change. So do you think we're going to get the kind of accountability we deserve from what we're going to hear over the next two days? I mean, as you say, no one will be found guilty or innocent from this public inquiry, but lessons learned will be published and Boris Johnson's account will be publicly available for years to come. I mean, she referred to Tony, the Tony Blair inquiry of his handling of the Iraq war. I mean, that's something that, you know, routinely people speak about on a day-to-day basis when we're discussing politics and decisions around war and etc. So, of course, you know, for some people, it might not feel like it's enough just Boris Johnson being questioned by by lawyers but the fact that this evidence will be there and his responses will be laid bare like basically forever is something that will help massively obviously if there are future COVID pandemics this will always be something that will be relied on. I guess another caveat to throw into the mix is the fact that the government doesn't have to accept any recommendations that have been made from this or any lessons that Boris Johnson learned from being the prime minister at the helm during the pandemic. So that might be, you know, quite frustrating for many people. But I mean, ultimately, the fact that Boris Johnson and, you know, his response to everything and his uh, his behaviour will be under intense scrutiny for two days will be very insightful. Well, Aletha, we'll all be watching really closely. Thanks for coming and telling us about it. Thanks so much for having me. That was Aletha Adu, a political correspondent with The Guardian. Boris Johnson's appearance in front of the COVID inquiry will be covered live at theguardian.com with reporting and analysis to follow. And for even more on Johnson's appearance, this time in audio form, listen to this week's Politics Weekly UK with John Harris, Gabby Hinsliff and Raphael Baer. That'll be out Thursday evening. It's Politics Weekly UK and you can find it wherever you listen to today in focus. And that is it for today. I'm Michael Safi and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Hold up. 
This is The Guardian. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 